is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for your company on the program today where you'll hear the story of how helicopter pilots in the VRD who normally spend their time mustering cattle last week were called in to rescue hundreds of people from flooding communities. There's a yeah, real chance it could have gone pretty pear-shaped if um, if there wasn't really anyone in the air there on the day that Dargaraga got really flooded. So it's, um, yeah, credit to the boys for um, getting down there really short notice and, and hooking in and, um, and making a difference. Yeah, those pilots saw some pretty amazing scenes like islands full of snakes. One pilot got bit on the hand while rescuing a cat. Uh, stay tuned for that interview today. And in some breaking roads news, we can tell you that the Victoria Highway has just reopened to traffic only a short time ago. So that's good news for towns like Timber Creek and Kununurra that have been cut off for well over a week. Uh, you're going to hear from a farming group in the Ord that is very happy to hear that's open. They've got about 700 tonnes worth of farming supplies ready to head to the west. And also today is the art of cutting up a killer on a station, a dying trade for new ringers. It's, um, you know, getting the cuts right now and the time efficiency and all that sort of thing, you know, to go and do it in the paddock. You know, there's just not the, the trainers around anymore, like the old fellas that really used to know it and be so passionate about it. The time's not put into it anymore, which is a, a bit of a shame in my eyes. Yeah, all those stories and more on your country out today. But first up, for the last couple of days, the NT government and industry groups have been running a mock biosecurity incursion exercise to test the ability of authorities to respond to a livestock disease entering the Territory. More than 80 people from different agencies were involved and it was all about preparing for things like foot and mouth disease or lumpy skin disease. Rob Williams is the Territory's Deputy Chief Vet, and during the exercise he was the Deputy Incident Controller. Uh, Rob, uh, can you tell us what's been happening with Exercise Tread? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly can. So um, the Northern Territory uh, Government has just run its largest ever biosecurity exercise um, to test uh, particularly our whole of government response and the interoperability between uh, different agencies on, um, in uh, being able to respond to a major biosecurity incident. So can you tell us a bit about the scenario that you were responding to? Yes. Yeah, so um, just to clarify, Australia is free of major any emergency animal diseases, including foot and mouth disease and uh, lumpy skin disease, but for the purposes of the exercise, we did uh, go large and we um, we did uh, use foot and mouth disease as our scenario. Uh, but again, just to clarify, Australia is obviously free of foot and mouth disease. Um, but yeah, it was uh, uh, the key thing for us is that we know that um, it would involve the whole of the Northern Territory economy, the whole of the Northern Territory government, um, because uh, not just from a resource point of view, but the community impacts, the socioeconomic sort of uh, knock-on effects would obviously be quite quite large in consequence. So the whole idea was for us to engage the other agencies. We'd, we've done plenty of testing within the agency, within Department of Industry, Trade and Tourism, but the idea now was to actually engage the other agencies. And who were they? Who else was involved? 
Yeah, so we had uh, uh, at least an, another 10 or so agencies, but it probably of notable, um, and a special thanks goes out to these guys, the, the notable inclusion was having the uh, NT police, uh, and we really thank them for their time because they were they ran the incident, they uh, appointed the incident controller from within the NT police and also provided uh, critical team members in different areas of the operations centre. Um, but we also had... Um, uh, staff from uh, agencies such as DIPL, uh, Chief Minister's Office. Uh, we had um, staff from um, some of the other uh, support agencies like Parks and, and Water Security, Environment, those sorts of agencies. So uh, I don't have a, a full extensive list, but uh, yeah, we were very appreciative of um, of all the all the government agencies that gave up their time. So can you paint us a bit of a picture of what? the response would look like um, on the ground? Are we talking about road closures and, and those sort of things? Uh, yeah, so um, it is obviously very dependent on the on the disease and where it's located. Um, but during the scenario, yeah, we did contemplate uh, at least checkpoints in and out of the Territory to monitor particularly livestock movements and cattle truck movements in uh, obviously more specifically. But any any... Uh, movements that would involve susceptible species uh, were obviously considered and that that did include considering um, uh, police checkpoints but also utilising biosecurity staff to manage any risk uh, for the Territory. And the other uh, area around this is, is trying to keep the community informed as, as early as possible uh, but also allowing the community as as much as we can, obviously, to function on a normal day-to-day -day basis. So this is not a COVID um, exercise where we would uh, obviously monitor human movements, though human movements can be important for disease spread. So we do monitor some of those movements. But uh, largely speaking, uh, our, our goal would be to try and um, let the general community uh, to, to function as, as normally as possible. But obviously, in key infected areas or affected areas, we'd need to... Um, you know, control some of those movements. If you're just tuning in, this is the Country Hour and my name is Dan Fitzgerald. You're on ABC Radio right across the Territory and you're hearing from Rob Williams, who is the Territory's Deputy Chief Vet and he's just been involved for the last couple of days in Exercise Tread, which was a mock biosecurity exercise uh, simulating a livestock uh, biosecurity incursion into the Northern Territory. So under the scenario that you were pretending to respond to, um, were you able to stop the spread of this disease? Uh, so the, the scenario is uh, what's given to you in terms of injects, um, but um, we, we only tested the first three days of a response, which obviously is the, you know, I mean, the, the whole response would be busy, but the first three days are the three days that you really need to make sure your setup is is correct. So um, we didn't play out the scenario across, um, you know, potentially for weeks or months. We played the, uh, the scenario just for those first three days. So we don't know the outcome under the scenario, but we do know we do have a very good idea now of um, of where of things that particularly worked well for us. So, um, in fact, we were probably a bit surprised how well things came together. We expected it probably to be a bit more chaotic, but. Um, particularly with the incident controller being police, uh, we were, uh, you know, I felt that we had very clear direction of how to establish 
an emergency operations centre, obviously, um, with some of the other emergency services, uh, people having a lot more experience than, than us uh, on the livestock side of things with emergencies. Uh, so they were, it was very clear how to establish uh, uh, chain of command, um, the, the different groups. It was very clear how we were going to establish communications um, and uh, some of the activities that you needed to do straight away to stop the movements and we tested for example what would we do in the case of a national livestock standstill um, because if um, you know if it is foot and mouth disease then you do test you know you would establish a, a national livestock standstill so we tested things like that um, and uh, at least for the first three days we were pretty confident of our ability to, uh, to for that to to run as smoothly as we possibly possibly could in the, given the situation. Uh, did you find any holes or room for improvement? Oh, definitely, yeah. So, and that was part of the um, part of the exercise was to make sure that we uh, we were trying to expose areas where we might be uh, uh, deficient. That you know we don't want to hide from that. We want to make sure that we're better prepared, uh, obviously for you know in the un hopefully. Uh, not, but in the unlikely event we have a, a real incursion, we we want to be better prepared. Um, so probably key areas for improvements was in the communication systems, especially early on, and a bit more of a focus on our IT systems and interoperability. So um, without going into the details, there's some specific examples of systems where they don't communicate with each other or we need to make sure that they do in, in the real event. Um, Early coordination on surge workforce planning is critical because we know that um, you know a, a critical issue will be for us engaging people uh, to be part of the response, but also getting the right skill sets of those people. So um, that surge workforce planning would be a critical issue for us. And probably the other thing is um, another key um, area for improvement is the importance of getting the communications out early on what's happening. Um, so obviously we're, you know, the Emergency Operations Centre can be very focused on the task at hand, uh, but also that um, understanding, you know, the community needs for information and um, the importance of engaging industry early. That was probably an area, I think, um, particularly in the context of recovery planning. So even though we're there to manage the incident in the first, uh, you know, in the, uh, the first sort of stage, uh, recovery planning needs to start straight away and in fact um, one of the agencies we did have was um, uh, uh, Territory Welfare Services involved as well so that was a really valuable um, learning for, for us to, to learn from them and understand what they might need to, to roll out any sort of community assistance. Do you have any plans to do any more exercises like this down the track? I definitely is. So we're, we're regularly doing exercises. So we've had a number anyway over the last few years, including we did have two recent iterations of this. Uh, the, the idea is to keep testing the system. But uh, but in terms of an exercise of this scale, um, yeah, probably uh, firstly, we want to unpack the report and the recommendations that come out of that. There will be an official report. We had an exercise evaluator, but also running an exercise like this is quite resource intensive in itself. So um, probably we, uh, at least over the next 12 months or so, we'll probably be focused on doing just some smaller um, exercises, just testing specific elements of, uh, of where we think we're, there's some weaknesses in the system.
All good to hear it all went well. Um, thanks for giving the Country Hour an update. No, it's uh, great to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, we, we're, again, just a big big thank you to all the agencies that were involved in uh, the exercise, particularly the NT Police. Uh, it was really uh, very helpful for us to understand how some of these other agencies operate and, uh, yeah, really, really great learnings out of that for us. So, um, And thank you for your time. There we go. That is Rob Williams. He's the Territory's Deputy Chief Vet, speaking there about exercise tread. A whole bunch of people involved, uh, a number of different agencies right across the Territory, more than 80 people involved in exercise tread, a, a mock exercise preparing for a potential biosecurity incursion in the Northern Territory. It is 17 minutes to one. G'day, I'm Lisa Pepper and I'm in here at Darwin Port where we're currently in the process of loading a couple of thousand head onto the Greyman Express for live export. And thanks for listening to the Country Hour. Well, the news that has just come to hand a short time ago is that the Victoria Highway has reopened to traffic after being cut for well over a week due to flooding in the Vic River. I'm told that there is some damage to that road, so if you are driving west or east out of WA, uh, please be careful along that road. There is some damage and potentially some water over the road. But yes, the good news is that the road is reopened. Uh, Coming up after a tune, you're going to hear from one of the farming groups in WA... Um, they have been desperately waiting for some crucial supplies for, for farms there in the west. Um, but first, this is Canned Heat. A classic there from Canned Heat on the road again. You're tuned in to The Country Hour on ABC Radio right across the Territory. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for joining me. Well, the Victoria Highway has reopened just under an hour ago after being closed for well over a week due to flooding in a number of places in that region. There has been some damage to the road surface and some of some water over the road in uh, several locations, so please do drive carefully out that way. Some of the first vehicles that are likely to hit the road will be a number of trucks that have been waiting to deliver 700 tonnes of fertiliser to farmers in the Ord Valley. Michelle Stanley spoke to Ord River District Cooperative CEO Dan Raymond just before it was announced the road was opened. He said it's been a pretty tough period for farmers in the Ord Valley. Yeah, it's been, um, I guess, <laughs> almost the icing on the cake after being cut off for two months on to the west, which has had a enormous impact on on our business and you know, the other businesses and our members here. We've now got the situation where we're cut off on the other side. Um, so we have been bringing supplies through that way, often the long way around from uh, Perth, Geraldton and uh, other places down south. Uh, and now those supplies are also stuck on the other side of, of floodwaters. So um, we also have a bit of stuff comes on the train. And as you probably know, the train line up through the centre, I think 300 k's of that. It's currently being assessed for engineering issues, so that has an impact as well. That one certainly won't be solved quickly. What kinds of things are you waiting on from the train and, and that road coming in from the east? Yeah, for us, by far the biggest thing is always fertiliser in terms of the volume of, of product that we go through. This is the start of the, the farming season here, so big quantities of fertiliser go out. 
Um, so that's the key input that um, that we've got stuck. So just an example, we had a um, a truck coming across from Brisbane, um, and they've dropped the trailers off, and, uh, and the truck's headed back south. So those trailers are just sitting, waiting for roads to open, and I guess we'll try and get them through in a week or two with any luck. But um, yeah, so that's the big one. But also all the other farming inputs. Uh, uh, you know, the range of chemicals that we stock, you know, pallets, we do um, that into the farming community, um, just about everything else you can think so think of. We also send a lot of stuff out of here on behalf of farmers, so stock feed is a major product, so we grow maize here, which goes into stock feed, uh, and that, of course, is all stuck to normally we'd be supplying well and truly to farms right across the north of Australia by now, but um, but that's not happening because of the... The floodwaters and obviously a lot of those farmers will really be suffering at the moment so their capacity may be limited to to do what they normally would have done how much if you looking at the fertilizer for example how much are you waiting on how much is sitting there in the territory waiting to get over uh so you contracted to come in right now i guess we've probably got about uh about 700 tons i suppose um so you know assuming it's 80 ish tons on a truck so there's quite a few trucks that we need to get through yeah that's his Des, dan raymond there he's the ceo of ord cove speaking there with michelle stanley and uh yeah hopefully those trucks should be on the road now if not pretty soon uh the victoria highway it reopened a short time ago um after floodwaters went down in the vic river and the region there uh, let's just do a little check on some of the other roads around the Territory now. Uh, the Barkley Highway has reopened in the Territory. Uh, there is some water over the road in between Tennant Creek and the border, uh, but you can only go as far as Camerwheel. Uh, the road in between Camerwheel and Mount Isa is currently closed, and Secure NT um, has written on its Facebook page that there is no fuel available at Camerwheel. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you want to stay up to date and you're planning on driving to Queensland, um, keep an eye on the NT Roads Report website or their Facebook page. Uh, also, the Buntine Highway, it is closed from Top Springs to Kalkarindji. Uh The Roper Highway is still closed due to flooding there at the corner of the Stewart Highway intersection. And there is still a bit of water over the road around the Stewart Highway around Tennant Creek. Um, yeah, as I said, keep up to date on the Roads Report NT website. This week on Landline, fighting spray drift in the cotton industry. Up until December, hadn't received many complaints about spray drift damage, but they're coming in thick and fast now. And the power of leaky weirs. We've been able to slow the water down, spread the water out, enable it to soak more effectively into the, the floodplain itself. That's Landline, Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Well, a major Australian pastoral company has reached a milestone in its mission to reduce its carbon emissions. Consolidated pastoral company CEO Troy Setter says the cattle company has just received its carbon and methane emissions baseline data, which it will apply to its holdings in Australia and in Indonesia. Uh, he explained what CPC's next steps will be to the ABC's Alice Marshall. Yeah, we've been um, in the carbon reduction space since about 2014 because it's a really good thing to do and also there's some, um, some good value creation opportunities for us. We've just finished the first draft of our um, carbon emissions uh, and methane emissions baseline work. Um, there's still more work to do but 
we're getting close to uh, having a really objective baseline so then we can work even harder at reducing our emissions. So that's your emissions across all of your country in Australia and Indonesia as well or just Australia based? No definitely Australia and Indonesia and everything we do, everything we bring onto the properties and everything we produce um, and, uh, and the way that we run them. So that baseline has data has just come this week is that right? Yeah we've just got it this week and uh, there's some checks and, and balances to do on there. There's multiple ways to, to calculate things and we're just reviewing through that now. And then the, uh, the heavy lifting gets going on what are the ways to uh, further reduce our emissions. And you say you sort of started this whole process back in 2014. There's been a couple of methodology changes when it comes to measuring carbon emissions since 2014. Have these methodology changes been a hindrance to you in your process? Yeah, they, they, they're not helpful, um, but if they improve accuracy, then we, we need to, to deal with that. I think one of the opportunities is for longer-dated um, methodologies with a clean energy regulator that are, that are really long-dated, you know, particularly for ones around livestock. So the beef cattle herd methodology, we'd like to see that effectively have an in-perpetuity type approach to it so that, that producers can invest in uh, infrastructure, technology and just and knowledge creation so that we can, on an ongoing basis, continue to reduce emissions and to, and to be rewarded for holding them down. Yeah, because you, were, you provide a fa- provided a fair bit of consultation with the most recent methodology. When's that due to run out? Um, I'm not exactly sure. It's due to run out in the next couple of years um, and we, we definitely want it extended. But we also want it to, to effectively last in perpetuity so that there is actually a methodology there for keeping uh, emissions uh, as low as possible. When it comes to the beef industry's aim for net zero by 2030, do these changing methodologies sort of make that challenge a bit harder? Um, I think there's potential there for it. It, it really just depends on, on how they're going to land. But if it improves accuracy and allows us to, uh, to get on with, with focusing objectively on emissions reduction, I don't think that's a bad thing. Troy Setter, he is the CEO of the Consolidated Pastoral Company and he was speaking there to Alice Marshall. It is five minutes to one here on The Country Hour. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for joining me. Now, all this week on the program, we've been introducing you to the finalists for the NT Rural Woman of the Year. Well, we can tell you that the winner was announced last night and a big congratulations to Eileen Breen for taking out the award. She had a chat to Adam Steer this morning. Well, it's pretty pretty exciting and a bit of an honour and um, probably just a little terrifying as well. <laughs> Tell me about last night. How did it feel? What happened to you? Oh, well, um, I was there with two other amazing territory women who have equally fantastic projects and um, I, I guess it came down to me being the winner. And uh, what a fantastic opportunity just to um, amplify, I guess, NT business and um, sustainability opportunities in business as well. Part of the prize that you won last night is a $15,000 bursary. What are you going to do with that? Yeah, so with that, what we've been doing in Entex around um, our resource recovery, but also the social programs that we've implemented in our business, which is um, helping Indigenous youth at risk to find employment opportunities and mentoring um, other businesses in our, our industry, we thought, well, that it was, I guess, a model of sustainability, looking after environment and community that any business could implement. So uh, I started 
uh, last year developing some educational resources and workshops uh, that I ran um, through October Business Month to help other businesses to really simply um, and practically implement sustainability initiatives into their own business models. So with the bursary of the $15,000 grant, I want to develop those workshop materials and take it further throughout the Northern Territory to support other businesses to do that. And a big part of it is, I suppose, businesses might look at that and think, well, that all sounds very nice, but I don't have the time. It's going to cost me money. And I just want to show them that Entex is proof that it doesn't have to cost you that much, um, depending on what the opportunities are, but it can actually build a really resilient business and um, improve profitability, uh, maybe come up with new income streams. So I want to take that message out to other businesses throughout the Territory. Eileen Breen, she is this year's NT Rural Woman of the Year. Well done to Eileen. Uh, she'll receive yeah, a $15,000 bursary to support a project of her choice, as well as the opportunity to undertake professional development course of her choosing. And, of course, she will go on to represent the Northern Territory at the National Awards in Canberra later this year, where the national winner will be awarded a $20,000 grant and the national runner-up an additional $15,000. We wish Eileen all the best in that and we'll uh, be sure to let you know how she goes. Aussie kids once rode their bikes to the corner shop. Welcome to our store. For some flour, the paper, some lollies. Where'd everything go? Join Annabelle Crabb to step back through time with the Ferone family. Voila. As they run a corner shop. <laughs> Look at your face. Ferone and son, where is the daughter? Back in time for the corner shop. We're used to running our own business. How could it be? Tuesday nights on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Now, we just want to hear on the Country Hour recognise the passing of a long-time mango grower from Darwin's rural area. Ian Quinn has passed away. Uh, he and his partner, too, farmed at Acacia for years, and we had him on the Country Hour many times. And I know he was always so kind to me and to many other reporters that went out to the farm to have a chat about mangoes over the years. Um, so from all of us here at the Country Hour, a sincere condolences to all of Ian Quinn's family um, on the farm's Facebook page. They write, uh, we appreciate all the lovely messages, the flowers and condolences that we've received. It's been very moving. Uh, Ian Quinn's funeral will be held at the Darwin Funeral Services in Marara on Monday, March the 13th. So at 2.30pm, uh, the ceremony will follow after 3pm. Uh, the family has given us permission to uh, read those times out. So, yes, for all of us here at the Country Hour, sincere condolences to the Quinn family and all of those who knew him. It's time now to head to the news. It's uh, one o'clock and up after that we'll be chatting about the weather and much more. G'day, this is Chris Nathaniel at Tropiculture Australia Bees Creek and you're listening to the Country Hour. G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald is my name. Thanks a lot for joining me for the Country Hour on this Friday. You can tune in to us however you like via the podcast, the ABC Listen app, Channel 25 on your telly. And still to come on the show today, uh, you're going to hear the story of a group of helicopter pilots who usually spend their time mustering cattle, doing all sorts of jobs on cattle stations. Well, last week... They down tools pretty quickly 
to go help a lot of people in need in a number of Indigenous communities that were being flooded. There was a yeah, real chance it could have gone pretty pear-shaped if, um, if there wasn't really anyone in the air there on the day that Dargaraga got really flooded. So it's, um, yeah, credit to the boys for um, getting down there really short notice and, and hooking in and, um, and making a difference. Yeah, you'll hear that pretty amazing story up very soon. We've had a text here on 0487 1057. Somebody commenting on a tune we played earlier in the program. They say, you, you surpass yourselves with canned heat, but perhaps one more river to cross might have been better. I'll have to look that one up. I'm not, not familiar with that song. Well, let's check in with the weather now where we've got Rebecca Patrick on deck. How are you, Rebecca? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. That's the way. Now, we heard there in the news that uh, there's people being evacuated in Burketown just across the border in the Gulf of Carpentaria. What is that tropical low doing and how much sort of rain has it dropped across that region? Yeah, um, so the low pressure system is slowly moving southwards. It's um, probably just still in the, the Gulf Country region of Queensland. Um, the good news is that it should be weakening over the next couple of days, so not dropping as much rainfall. Um, and we haven't seen as much in the last 24 hours, but it's just that two to 300 millimetres that they got um, the day before over a number of locations that... Um, yeah, has obviously had a major impact and there is the major flood warnings um, for a few of those rivers over there in northwest Queensland um, with potentially record flood levels um, in a couple of locations. So, yeah, quite a, um, a dire situation over there. Mm, yeah, and um, here in the Territory, it looks like things are easing off. Um, not as much rain overnight. Yeah, that's right. Um, so just a... a a couple of falls in that 50 to 60 range um, in the last 24 hours across the top end. Um, but, yeah, not a, not really a lot falling in rain gauges, sort of moderate falls across the, the top end. And um, there has been some, some rain around the eastern parts of the Barclay near the border. Um, but we don't have any rain gauges there. But um, it certainly looked like it was a lot less than there was the previous day. And can we expect much rain in the top end over the weekend? Uh, not too much at all. So um, today we're seeing a few showers forming up mostly around the coastal areas of the top end. Um, also perhaps some showers along the um, border of Queensland um, with the Barclay area. Um, but across the weekend we are getting more dry air pushing northwards through the Territory. So... Um, yeah, maybe just a few coastal showers, but storms will be pretty few and far between. And uh, just on, we've had been having flood warnings all this week. Um, most of them are easing off apart from the lower daily. Yeah, that's right. So we've finalised a few of those warnings. Still have a moderate flood warning for the Daly River. Um, but it is just a few centimetres above that moderate flood level at the moment and it's starting to very slowly ease through that area. So expecting that to go below the the moderate flood level perhaps later today and uh, we'll maintain the minor flood levels uh, through the weekend and probably ease off maybe uh, early next week. Okay. And in um, central Australia, it looks like a, a warm weekend ahead. 
Yeah, that's right. There's a, uh, a trough over Western Australia that's uh, moving towards the Territory. Um, so we're getting those winds turning a bit more around to the east-northeast um, from tomorrow onwards. So that'll see those temperatures starting to climb up. Um, should get to the, the high 30s or possibly around 40 degrees over the Lassa district um, next week and probably will stay pretty high throughout the whole week. So, um, yeah, it looks like a hot week ahead. That is, uh, that is unfortunate there for Central Australia. Hopefully the, the cooler weather is coming soon. Um, just lastly, Beck, um, for those who might want to wet a line on the weekend, how are coastal waters? Yeah, coastal waters, um, relatively light winds out there at the moment. Darwin Harbour um, probably staying below about 10 knots through the weekend. So, um, yeah, pretty cruisy around there, flat, uh, flat waters. Um, further afield off the west coast, you're probably staying about less than 10 knots today. Might get up to about 10 to 15 knots with sea breezes across the weekend. Um, but yeah, not not too much in the way of, of wind, only getting up to about 10, to not, 10 knots off the north coast. Um, maybe slightly stronger in the, um, the southern Gulf of Carpentaria. Uh, where we're seeing those west southwesterly winds at the moment getting up to about 20 knots. But again, that's probably easing off to about 15 knots over the weekend. Okay, anything else we need to know today? Uh, I think that's the main thing. Just uh, check uh, Road Report's website because there is still a lot of water around the place. Um, but hopefully uh, with this drier conditions over the next few days, we'll see some opening of of some of those roads and I did just hear that the Victoria and the Barclay Highways are, are opening up now so that's good news. Yes, the Victoria Highway opened um, just about an hour ago so so yeah, good news for, for people in Timber Creek and um, Kununurra Way. Thanks for the update, Beck. No worries, have a great day. Hey, it's Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. It is 11 minutes past one. Tales from the Tinny. When you're living in a place like Darwin, it makes sense that fish tacos are number one on your repertoire. And the size of this fish tin, 100.5, with a crying, laughing emoji. Crying, laughing emoji indeed. Subscribe to the podcast. foul-smelling primate will remain on my back until such time as I catch a barra. So you know when you eat fish and it's like... <laughs> you've gone too far. Or catch it from 5.30 Friday on ABC Radio Darwin. Now, when the Victoria River started to rise rapidly through the communities of Dagaragu and Pigeonhole last week, some of the first people on the scene to help out were the crew from Helimuster. Normally at this time of the year, the aerial musterers based at Victoria River Downs have their feet up or they're preparing for when mustering really kicks off at the start of the dry season. But when the Vic River started to flood, the pilots at Helimuster kicked into gear and they rescued a lot of people from those rising waters. AJ, he's one of the pilots, and he told Mike Commode from Tales from the Tinny what his week was like for him and the other pilots. There are thereabouts of 200 to 250 mils in 12 hours, fell in some spots in the desert there, so that was what a few of us might have seen in the news of towns being evacuated, pigeonhole which the boys pulled out about 60 people from them in the helicopters and they pulled about 180 out of Dagaragu onto dry land on the day of the floods. So once we sort of finished dealing with the people, then it was onto the cattle. So a lot of the boys were out and um, in the helicopters there just making sure because there was water coming up so fast that they were 
getting pinned and getting stuck on little islands and up against fences and stuff. So there was a lot of that going on, making sure we tried to save as many as we could. I mean, I think they got a, did a pretty good job. And then now it's just into the rebuild. So a lot of flying and stuff still happening down around Kaukaringi. Roads have been washed out. I think one of the bridges there going into Dargaragu is buggered. So it could be a while before that gets up and running again. AJ, this is supposed to be the off-season for Heli Mustard VAD. Give us an, an idea of, of some of the kind of things you've been doing and, and seeing from the sky. Uh, yeah, so it's um, delving into the world with humanitarian stuff at the uh, moment. So it was uh, lifting people, um, and now it's turned into um, flying tradies and essential workers in there to try and rebuild these communities, get the sewer and the water and the electricity back on, um, and Feeding the dogs is also a thing that's a current contract we've got to do with the choppers as well. So because uh, we've got three communities fully evacuated at the moment, so it's Pigeonhole, Daigaragu and Kakaringi, most of the people's pets and namely the camp dogs all obviously had to stay behind and so they needed feeding. So when the time comes in the afternoons most days, they uh, chuck a few bags of dog biscuits in the back of the 44 and they go on a bit of a tour that's a bit scary. Sometimes they um, are so hungry that they'll looks like they might eat you instead of the dog biscuits. But I think they're all pretty. I'm um, pretty glad to have a fee. But just one of those, one of those strange and curious things that happens during natural disasters. Yeah. You must have had some some strange things to do, you know, and some hectic moments. Can you share any more? Uh, some of, some of those unique moments that you've actually had the last couple of weeks. Uh, just carrying some strange things. So we've got like animals in particular. We had one plane where we had a couple of people being evacuated and we had five dogs in the back all tied down so that's a different load to what we would usually be carrying around um during the evacuation with the choppers too there was one bloke young lamb junior pilot was trying to help rescue these ladies cats uh from her house that was being flooded in daigaragu as she was being loaded into the chopper and typical cat fashion when you're trying to help them that's when they're trying to maul you on the hands as well so he's uh, got the got the wound got a bit of a mauling on his um on his finger via feline so that's a <laughs> bit of a war story and a battle scar he'll be able to talk about for a while on the uh from the evacuation there yeah well some of the views from the sky must be incredible yeah it's unbelievable the amount of water that's come down like it went from people talking about a one-in-five-year event to one-in-20 to possibly... Oh, well, there's a lot of the um, the river gauges in that area that it's the highest ever recorded, so it's almost a lifetime event, 100-year one. But when you're flying around in a helicopter, you almost feel like you need a life jacket sometimes. It's just wall-to-wall water, like shallow but super widespread there for a few days. So, And good for, the, uh, good for fishing, plenty of fish, hopefully. They'll be um, coming back upstream. With the amount of water, like realistically, they'll be able to catch barramundi at Riverin Station, which isn't too far from La Germano, which is very much in the Tanami Desert. So that's a very realistic opportunity, like a very realistic thing that they're going to be able to hook up to some barra later this year with how far it's gone. But it, like, there's just been that much water that it's they'll almost be able to go all the way to the watershed. So if the water got that high, they'd nearly be able to spill over into Lake Gregory and go down into the Sturt Creek. So that's how far they'll be able to get. So. It's a first big flush, like a really good flush of all those creeks um, south of here for a long time, which is great. So it's caused a little bit of erosion, as you can imagine, but it's sorely needed, I think, for some of those big water holes that hadn't have been hadn't have been full, um, and for the water table as well, for the bores and things like that. Really, everything's saturated, like flying around. All you heli mustard guys, how are you holding up? It must have been a pretty pretty busy schedule. 
Yeah, it, it is really busy. And the um, followers to their credit, they've kept hooking in and just doing what was required for them. And we've got a few more boots on the ground here now, so that, that helps a lot. And um, and they, yeah, really hooked in them. And a lot, everyone else, like the police and emergency services all in the NT, um, really got together there when Calc was in trouble. Um, and uh, and the army as well. So they um, everyone's sort of contributing there when there was a natural disaster going on that no one really had seen for, for quite a long time. What's the strangest thing you've seen over the last couple of weeks, AJ? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's some places I definitely wouldn't want to go. Some of these flats there where the, the last bit of high country is full of every snake possibly in the region. Seen a few islands that had about 30 to 40 dingoes on them. Another place probably you don't want to land. A few hungry dogs might give you a bit of a chew. Um, and then just just the where the water was coming from as well like the table was so saturated you could fly up some of these gorges and the waterfalls were literally coming out of the side of the rock not even from the top as it was sort of spilling around so just seeing the how quickly um that the landscape changed with that much water um was really intense and like seeing things like the the bridge at the roadhouse which you'd almost think would be impossible for the water to get to and seeing it two metres above the top of it was, um, yeah, pretty unbelievable. And how long do you reckon until you guys can, can put your feet up again? <laughs> uh, maybe Christmas time. No, it'll all, um, it'll all lead in. These fellas will have to just keep on rolling um, and that'll lead into mushroom, which will be on, on track this year for sort of after Easter. It'll just be so wet that um, you won't be able to start doing those paddocks for a while. So maybe they'll have a bit of a reprieve a reprieve this month before they before they get right into it in April, but the the circus rolls on and um, yeah, we'll, they'll just keep getting into it. Some of the people that you guys have been lifting out of some of these communities, uh, how, what's their response been uh, to you? As you can imagine, whenever there's an emergency going on and, and the first sort of helicopter was showing up, um, just really grateful and a lot of people were scared, you know, some like never knew water could get that high in some of these communities and so that's, yeah, just thanks, you know, but it's not the boys don't really need that. They just knew that there was a job that had to be done. Did not sort of looking for praise or anything like that. But it was um it's good to it's good to be knowing you could help out and um and there was a yeah, real chance it could have gone pretty pear shaped if um if there wasn't really anyone in the air there on the day that Dagaraga got really flooded. So it's um yeah, credit to the boys for um getting down there really short notice and, and hooking in and um and making a difference. And it's funny now, like I flew over it yesterday going down to La Germano and you wouldn't even know there was a flood there. The water level comes up just as quickly as it comes down. Um, but that destruction and stuff's all there. So they'll be, yeah, it'll probably take most of most of this year to sort of get through and, and fix it up. Um, but, yeah, hopefully we, they can get those, um, those people back out into community as fast as they can. AJ is a pilot with Helimaster NT, and he was speaking there with Mike Commode from Tales from the Tinny. You can hear that full chat later this afternoon or right now via the Tinny podcast. It is 21 minutes past one here on the Country Hour. Up next is the art of cutting up a killer on a station, a dying trade for young ringers. We'll be talking about this after some Johnny Cash. <laughs> Man in Black here on the Country Hour. Now, forever and a day on cattle stations in the Territory, when meat is needed to feed the crew, one of the workers would go out, kill a beast and cut it up. But the way stations butcher their beef and who they get to do it could be changing. 
Matt Gain. He has a mobile butchering setup based out at Catherine, and he's getting more and more stations contracting him in to do their killers for them. He told Max Rowley who he's doing work for. Yeah, it's a mix. Um, it goes from hobby farmers around Catherine here to um, companies get me in to do their station killers now um, that used to do their own. Like the ringers would go out and do a beast on a Saturday afternoon and they'd have a barbecue night. But um, with the price of beef at the moment, um, it seems more cost-effective and time-efficient for me to come out there with my mobile setup and do it and process it in my own cold room. Um, a lot of their cold rooms aren't set up for it to be hung in quarters and broken down like that way and I think the quality of product that they're getting at the end of the day um, as opposed to what they used to get in the luxury of having a T-bone and just them few cuts that you never used to get really on a station and getting sausages and a lot of stations aren't set up for making all that sort of stuff so getting them sort of things provided I think they're really enjoying that and it's um, yeah like I say a cost effective measure the waste is kept to an absolute minimal especially with the price of beef at the moment like you don't sort of want to be wasting much. Right, so that's those are the main draw cards then because um, I imagine some people would be surprised to hear that stations are getting a butcher to come out and do their cattle when, you know, that, that would have been uh, a role that ringers used to do or usually did. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's become a bit of a dying trade um, as even to when I was a ringer only 20 years ago. You know, like that was that was a good thing to learn, and I love butchering, and I'm sure lots of ringers still do. But it's um, you know, getting the cuts right now, and the time efficiency, and all that sort of thing. You know, to go and do it in the paddock, there, you know, there's just not the the trainers around anymore. Like the old fellas that really used to know it and be so passionate about it, the time's not put into it anymore, which is a, a bit of a shame in my eyes. But um, yeah, it's just the way it's going, and to get me out there, it's just more cost effective for them and everything's done and no mess no clean up just drive in drive out what is the difference between you know i guess you you've been a ringer you've done that (laughs) what skill is involved in actually doing what you do yeah quite a bit actually like yeah i do remember doing me first couple of killers on the ground and you know you do it and take off all your primal cuts like your back straps and your rumps and high fillet and round top side silver side and that all on the ground then flip it over and do the other side take a bit of offal home for your barbecue night but now I'll sort of go and do it and slaughter it properly like it would be at a slaughter yard with my mobile facility and, and put it in a cold room and hang it there with a bit of cheesecloth on it. You know, it might hang for a couple of weeks if I'm going to be busy or, you know, that, that might be what they, they want to. If if they're putting it in their own cold room, they might want it to hang for two or three weeks and then just to quality it up a little bit. And, um, yeah, then I'll come back and, and do it all. And having it done professionally by a butcher too is like, something that they really enjoy like knowing and the station crew sit down and they really enjoy the fact that the product is same as you'd buy from a butcher shop how many stations are you working for then across the territory uh, at the moment i'm sort of only covering a few local ones because of the the travel that's involved in the time but um as i grow and have to put on a couple more butchers if that that ends up happening um yeah we'll just keep going i'm getting phone calls from as far down you know the um right up the Douglas Daly and then right down the VRD area and places like that, even the Barclay. Um, so, you know, hopefully one day we can do that and expand out like that and provide the quality services all around. So is it a dying art then for ringers to be doing their own killers on a station? I do believe it is. Um, yeah, and you're getting taught the quality 
and yeah it is and you know everyone enjoyed doing a killer and they're having the killer night and they still do like people still do and yeah like um it, it, i love the service that i provide and see the happiness that it brings to people especially station people that have been eating that same line of product for the last you know 20 30 years and then giving them the next level product and how much they enjoy it and how much better they think especially with these brahman breeds the, the quality that you can get out of that um product at the end of it so yeah it is a, it is a dying art which is sad to say um but then so is the butcher slaughterman like there's not many butcher slaughtermen around anymore that can go to a place and slaughter a beast and then go back and butcher it for you like most of your butchers now are, i don't know 100 percent sure but you know there's not a lot of butchers that are breaking down beef on a regular basis anymore and even slaughtering the beef like unless they're working in a big slaughterhouse or slaughter company there's not many little slaughter two-man slaughterhouses like i was taught in and it's just yeah it's, the whole thing's just a dying dying art as far as i'm concerned yeah right someone that can do it from start to finish yeah correct yeah and you've been a ringer and you're now a butcher what's the what's the best cut or what's the favorite cut in the station oh it varies eh like I'd rather chew a little bit but enjoy that flavour. Like my favourite cut would be Y-bone and I'm sure a lot of people would argue with me that that's not a real good cut because it is a little bit chewy but at times you can get it damn tender too. But yeah, I just love the flavour, eh? But yeah, other people like their fillets and I fillets and rumps. So I'd rump would be my, yeah, it'd be up there too. Like as a beautiful dining steak, I'd take a rump but I like a Y-bone for a bit of flavour and yeah, it's just beautiful, eh? You can't beat it. That is Matt Gain. He is a mobile butcher based out of Catherine. He also flies helicopters, talented fella. He was speaking there to Max Rowley. That's it. That's all for the Country Hour for uh, this Friday and for this week. Thanks for everyone who's participated in the show. If you've got the weekend off, I hope you have a good time. I'll speak to you on Monday. Take it easy. Music.